Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. I'm your host, Chad Madden. This week, I wanted to share with you a recording from a recent webinar that I hosted. To get access to the slides and videos of this recording, you can visit getbreakthrough.com forward slash resources. Remember, this was a training hosted with a live audience, so there are real-time questions and answers that I think you will find valuable. Without further ado, let's get started. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Sharing, introducing yourself within the chat. If you haven't done so already, you can go to the chat and just share where your practice is at, how long you've been in private practice. That would be great. What we're going to talk about in our time here today is how to build a, a physical therapy marketing calendar, and we're going to do it in less than an hour here. So in thinking about your private practice and how you market your private practice, what is your biggest challenge? You can type that in the chat right now. And while you're doing that, I'll quickly share. Uh, well. You already started. Um, great, Bobby. Thank you for introducing yourself in Power PT and Aquatics Instruction, in Southern California. Uh, right now, our biggest marketing challenge is uh, attribution. So, getting crystal clear uh, within our EMR, it's a little cloudy about exactly where our patients are coming from. You know, are they coming from Facebook or Instagram advertisements? Are they a past patient? Um, are they, you know, word of mouth referral? Or are they coming from a physician referral? So attribution is our biggest challenge. Christina says biggest challenge is getting someone in the door. Once I do, they become a repeat customer. Awesome job there, Christina. Mario says growing the number of patients. Debbie says reaching busy physicians for buy-in. Amy says feeling comfortable. Super curious as to what you mean by that, Amy. If you can expand on that, that would be great. All right. So when we're talking about this, uh, Marcus says time, maximizing time from Rebecca. Why should we build a marketing calendar? And really in talking with literally thousands of, of practice owners, what most of us are striving for is consistency. Right. So almost all of us have a slow time of year uh, for us. It's literally coming up here from Thanksgiving through the end of the year is our slowest time. Our second slowest time is usually when school lets out in June and people start taking uh, vacations that affects us. So right now for you, like if you've been in practice for a few years, what is your slow season? What, what would be great if you could, you know, we're all investing in payroll and employment expenses and providing space, if you have a bricks and mortar, et cetera, we all have overhead. And for years, that used to crush us every year when we would hit that Thanksgiving to the end of the year, and we would literally lose money. So when is the, your slowest season of the year? Again, you can type that in the chat. Sean says July and Christmas to mid-January. Thank you, Sean. Uh, Christmas, holiday time. New deductible season, January holidays back to school, new deductible season, hot Arizona summertime, July and August. John says, keeping numbers up consistently all year. Q1 is a slow season, new deductible season. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so here a lot of end of the year, or beginning of the year, right? Or summer months. So we're going to talk about what to do there. And for most of us, um, especially if we're treating 40 plus hours a week or we're the only clinician, this is what we go through. In the beginning, right, we need more new patients, right? So we go out, maybe we're doing physician lunches, maybe we're doing else something marketing wise, maybe we're on a you know little mini speaking tour within our area doing lunch and learns with employers and stuff like that. So we have some sort of marketing activity. Once we do that and we're, we're doing well, well, now we have to go back into the clinic and, and start treating again, 
right? And when we go back into the clinic and we're treating again or treating a lot, um, then what happens is we slough off on our marketing, right? Our marketing effort declines. And now we don't have any, as many new plans of care coming through the door, not getting as many co- phone calls or faxes or however new patients are coming in, right? So now our, our caseload, our census decreases. Now we have to go back out and market again. And for years, we can end up riding this marketing roller coaster um, over and over and over. And when I'm talking with an owner that's here, um, I, it's easy to reflect back, you know, my first three years before we hired that second uh, physical therapy, uh, physical therapist license. Um, it, this is exactly what I did. So I would be in the clinic treating 60 plus hours a week and marketing would would slough off or decrease. The marketing effort would go away and then I would have to go out uh, when our census would decline and uh, gel up new patients all over again. So if this, if you resonate with this at all, just say roller coaster um, in the chat. And, you know, ideally, once we get off the roller coaster, you know, what does that look like? What What is a, a better way to think about predictably and scientifically growing our practice? Well, at the top, you know, we want to be able to consistently attract more patients, primarily without us having to invest a lot of time, especially if we're a primary treating clinician. When we do that right, we, ha- we have leads that are generated, right? That's people responding to our advertisements or people responding to our email campaigns, and we're able to efficiently follow up with them. Um, once we do that, and we're converting ad responders and email responders over to paying patients, then we want to be able to measure everything, right? We're using performance and staff metrics. If we have a receptionist or a marketer that's helping us out in terms of conversions, Um, so that we can do more of what works from the data and less of what doesn't work from the data. What does that allow us to do? Well, we can hire that second uh, PT, or we can hire the 20th PT or 50th PT, whatever it might be, and open that next office or expand an existing office or simply fill the office that we're already paying for with rent and utilities, et cetera. What does that allow us to do? Well, now we can go out and consistently attract even more patients. We can buy more market share. And what this does is it creates, this is called a flywheel, where then one action, the results of one action lead to an increase and improvement, uh, inertia, momentum in the next action. And the idea with a flywheel, this comes from Jim Collins, Good to Great, um, and a slew of other business books, Built to Last, et cetera, actually has a monograph written on the flywheel, it's an excellent read. And the idea is that once you put the effort in to get the flywheel moving, that it will continue to move with little effort. Uh, And that is truly the definition of a system. So as we are clinicians and as we're building a marketing system, here's what normally gets in the way of consistency. Number one is we don't have enough time, right? So if you've ever written an email campaign and then sent that email campaign out. And then two or three weeks later or a month later or a quarter later, it's time to write another email campaign. It it just feels like we're constantly reinventing the wheel, right? And it's hard to take time away from being uh, a clinician or from, uh, you know, helping out with billing. I know many of us are, we're wearing a lot of hats, but it seems like we don't have enough time to actually market to build out campaigns. The second big thing that gets in the way is it's unclear what's working and what's not, right? So we ran a campaign, maybe we ran a print ad, did something with direct mail, did something with Google or Facebook or any of the other online services, and we're not really sure if it worked or not. Maybe we got a lot of views, we had some vanity metrics that happened there, but we didn't really, we can't see any tangible patients coming through the door, and we don't know how to measure it. Number three here is the systems are overly complex. For a lot of us, and you know, when I first met uh, Carl here, the co-founder here at Breakthrough, um, th- this was his wheelhouse. And I remember uh, we went back and added up. I had invested over, I think it was $108,000 um, in trying to figure out automation for my own practice. And I was taking the courses and doing all this other stuff. And, and I'm not an amazing technical person. I, uh, 
definitely not technically savvy. Nobody's ever accused me of that. Um, yet at the same time, like I thought I had a little bit of intelligence where I could go in and figure this out, especially if I had a paid coach or um, had the coursework, like I could go through and figure it out. I had invested a lot of time there. And the fact was, even though I had like the number one video in the world for back pain and sciatica um, at the time, we were number one Google result in the world for back pain and sciatica, um, I couldn't figure out how to consistently and measurably convert people from online traffic. I had a conversation with Carl and one weekend, probably took him less than two hours, build automation that we had consistent conversions beginning that Monday, right? It was instant. So I had wasted all this time and money because I was a, trained as a clinician trying to do uh, figure out online marketing and use systems that were overly complex when he had 12, 15 years uh, in the profession and already knew how to do it, right? Um, so ended up wasting a lot of time. Shame on me for you. Just learn from my mistake. So the key to all of this and overcoming uh, those three barriers, those three pitfalls is really to create a marketing calendar. So this is just an example calendar that we use in our practice. Um, right now we have six, soon to be seven clinics. Um, and all of our offices run off a very similar schedule. So we're doing paid ads for different in-house events. We are working with partners, people in our area that have lookalike and we'll talk about each one of these individually, uh, but lookalike lists that we're, you know, have mutual reciprocity with. We're delivering value to them. They're delivering value to us. And uh, we're collaborating to serve and deliver value within the community. And then we have an email campaign, at least one that goes out every quarter. I'm sorry, every month. So uh, we, we did the introductions already. We're going to talk about next marketing strategies that work for your private practice. We'll go through an actual uh, tutorial where I'll bring a volunteer on here and we'll we'll build out using the link that Andrea provided uh, to you within the chat. And Andrea, if you want to post that again, that would be great. Um, it, I'll, I'll walk through and we'll build a, a campaign for one of you. Um, and what is going to happen is you'll be able to take that and apply that um, specifically to your private practice here. And then we'll open it up for Q&A um, at the end. This is this training is brought to you by Breakthrough. Um, this, again, we founded this in 2015. And the original idea was to help private practice owners grow in a challenging healthcare environment. At the time, specifically for us in PT, uh, there was just that study that was published back in 2018 that from 2003 to 2014, there was this devastating decline in physician referrals. I think it's 56 or 57%, right, uh, to outpatient physical therapy. And really what we started doing was uh, working with other private practice owners and helping them figure out how to market their services direct to the consumer rather than relying on the physician. Um, to date, you know, we, we've done a lot within the physical therapy space. Last year alone, we sent over 8 million emails uh, predominantly for other physical therapy practices. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, outcomes and measures here in a second for email. So let's get into the six strategies that work. If you haven't been taking notes, now would be a good time to start. The first thing that we want to do, and we want to build this up from uh, the easiest thing to do, lowest gradient, up and and then we're going to talk about more advanced stuff here as we go along. So if you're an advanced donor and you've been marketing for years, um, there's going to be some good stuff in here for you. If you haven't even opened your, your practice yet, then there's going to be some great stuff in here for you as well. So the first thing that we want to do is engage your patient list consistently be email, text, and direct mail. Why do we want to do that? Your, your patient list is your most valuable asset in your practice, only when you're nurturing it and taking care of it. So just last week, I was talking with uh, a physical therapy friend of mine who we worked together for eight and a half years here, um, literally in this office. And then he moved out to Pittsburgh and he has a successful uh, golf performance business. And uh, we were having a conversation and I said, okay, so do you have a patient list 
uh, from the clients that you've worked with. And I, I just saw like the, you know, the blush cheeks right away. And I was like, okay, well, that, that that's assignment. Number one is you need a patient list um, to actually market your service to, because if we're looking at your area um, in Pittsburgh and we were to draw, you know, let's say a five or 10 mile radius around that, the people who are most likely to consume your services next month are the same people that you've serviced in the past, right? And this is why every retailer in the world takes such good care of their, their patient list and they're looking for ways um, that they can harness some sort of data. But it's the most valuable asset in your business when you take care of it. What do we get from our past patient list? We get reactivations, right? It's people that you treated two years ago for their total knee that are now coming back to you for back pain. Um, or it's word of mouth referrals. Or the other thing that you can do with email is you can encourage um, follow through and adherence to the plan of care, right? Increase the respect for the services that you're providing to the patients you're seeing. How do we do it? Well, you want to decide on a cadence that works for you and stick to it consistently. We in our offices, um, we either do once a month or sometimes we'll do twice a month, depending on our slow season. Quick question, when do you think we're doing twice a month, right? It's during the anticipated slow season, right? We will go to our past patient list from Thanksgiving through the end of the year, simply because it's harder to compete in the other areas. There's increased advertising, both online and offline from retailers. So what we'll do is during our anticipated slow season between Thanksgiving and the end of the year, we'll increase our promotion to our past patient list so that we, we stay consistent. You always wanna lead with value anytime you're doing this. So think patient education, you wanna balance offers and promotion. Two main errors that can happen with email. The first one is only providing valuable content. The second one, so that only providing valuable content, never making an offer. The second big pitfall is only making offers and you burn your list out, right? So the problem with the first one is you never have reactivations or anything that's measurable. The problem with the second one, when you're only doing offers is you'll burn your list out really quick. So we wanna balance that. And what Carl figured out early on from his experiences, uh, even outside of physical therapy, is that when you deliver goodwill and value first, and then the recipient interacts with that, and then, and only then do you provide them an offer, that is the best use of email. It doesn't burn out the list. You're providing goodwill and valuable content to everybody, and you're, you're nurturing your list over long periods of time. It's a sustainable long-term use of email. Hey, Chad, it's Andrea. Um, yeah. Quick question. Can you describe what you mean by an offer? Yeah, an offer would be uh, an appointment um, offer that, you know, so you could maybe your offer is a free screen or discovery visit could be something like that. You know, if you're talking about a specific treatment type like, uh, you know, laser or if you do dry needling or some sort of specific training, you might be offering uh, a treatment session for uh, discounted or trial type offer. Um, so yeah, an, an offer is some sort of service, product information or service that the recipient can, can claim. Yep. So here's just one sample practice uh, that uh, from somebody who just sent an email campaign last month with us, uh, they sent a little under 1,300 emails, had nearly a 50% open rate. Um, we're not going to talk about exactly how that happened, but the industry standard is 20, right? So this person had a two and a half times the normal open rate. Um, and then the click-through rate, people that saw the goodwill and clicked and moved on to the offer was 13.3%, which also is sky high. Uh, normal would be less than 1%. Um, in terms of a benchmark. Second big thing that we want to do is we want to, so once we handle our patient list and we're, we're, we have consistent reactivation, delivery value and reactivation from our patient list, then we want to move on to uh, working with other potential partners in our community 
that have lookalike lists that make sense for us to work with. So why do we want to do that? It's one of the most cost-effective ways. You're basically not paying for not. You're not paying for advertising dollars and somebody else is promoting you. You can educate. You can provide patient education and uh, deliver value. And they call it a value add when you're working with a partner around specific conditions and treatments that you want to attract. And it can leverage the, your local partner, the person that you're working with, their, their existing audience. How do we do that? Well, we hold a workshop or other type of event at their place of service. Um, there's a large employer that we've worked with for uh, 17, 18 years now. Uh, they bring us in every year and they host a, a lunch and learn and also a health fair. We're invited to participate in that. It's absolutely free. And they actually pay their employees uh, to watch the lunch and learn, right? And answer a few questions. Um, so yeah, it's a huge value add for them. It's a value add for us as well. And they they position and establish us. And you can do the same exact thing. You want to focus on businesses in your, your area that match your ideal patient profile, or more specifically, for those of us that are looking to improve your payer mix, you know, how would you do that in this case? Well, you can go to employers that offer their employees um, your, your top paying insurances, right? So we can never go to a physician and say, well, you know, don't send me this low payer, only send me the high payers, right? That's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, our local hospital systems already, we've noticed changes in referral patterns based on type of insurance reimbursement. So they send us less of the higher paying insurance and more of the lower paying insurances, uh, which is kind of a crazy thought. But um, when we go direct to the consumer and we're working with partners, we can circumvent all that craziness and uh, get have the pendulum swing back in our favor there. So yeah, the results from one practices workshop doing you know a partner workshop, 37 people attended, 17 new plans of care came out of that. Third thing we want to do is get in front of your community with, with online ads. They're the easiest, easiest to control, easiest to test long-term. Why do you want to do that? Well, once you've developed consistent marketing to your patient list and also your warm third-party, and by the way, once we get those warm third-party uh, partners, we every quarter, every six months, we're, it's on a schedule. We're doing the same thing. We're not having to reinvent the wheel. We just re rinse and repeat what has worked before. Once we've done that, however, it's time to expand um, and then start to go to cold traffic. So on that advertising is the best and most cost-effective way to successful, successfully attract cold traffic that this is people who do not, do not know, like, and trust you as of yet. How do we do that? We lead with patient education. Um, and why do we do that? Educated leads, they're easier to convert. So people who invest time with you, the more time that they invest, there is a direct correlation with the likelihood that they actually sign up for a plan of care. They achieve their goals. They graduate their plan of care. And they become raving fans and send other people to you. So if you're, you're really amazing at converting um, and you're, you, know, you want to do this long term, lead with education. You'll continue to attract the right clients and you'll have a, a marketing machine that you can predictably grow your practice. So result of uh, one practice that we worked with, uh, they spent $373 um, on online advertising. They had 18 calls to the office. And in the end, they ended up getting three plans of care out of that. The other common question that I'll get here is how much you know would should you be willing to spend for cold traffic? When the other two things are in place, right? How much are we willing to spend for cold traffic? In the beginning, especially when we're testing a new media type, we're willing to spend up to the cost of the plan of care. So if your average plan of care is $1,000, I'll invest up to $1,000 in the beginning with the understanding that we're gonna get more and more efficient. And the goal for cold traffic long-term is somewhere between one and $200 per patient coming through. However, it doesn't start there. It's a lot of work to get there. But the only way that we can do that is by having the systems in for our patient list and also those warm third-party referrals. Cold traffic is always going to be the most expensive. 
Um, number four, you want to market across all four, sorry, all five stages of awareness. So this is from a book called uh, Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene Swartz. It was written in the 1960s and uh, it's genius. And if you're thinking about online advertising or media buys and how to make sense of it all, you know, most of us are looking for a magic bullet when it comes to media buys. There, there's a better way to think about it. Um, and, you know, at one end of the scale, the, the bottom here, the easiest, lowest hanging fruit, we have people who are most aware. And, you know, for you, again, if I had to pick who was going to, you know, most likely to be consume your services next month, it's highly likely to be somebody that was already on your patient list um, or somebody that you already treated in the past. That's They're highly aware. They know you, they love you, and they're willing to come back again when they need your services. At the other end of the scale, we have the highest hanging fruit. And this is more time, money, and energy, right? And it's very sexy right now to think about attracting you know, people from cold traffic uh, who don't know, like, and trust you yet. As a matter of fact, they're not even aware of physical therapy or then they might not even be aware that they have a problem, right? They're changing the way they're walking, changing the way they're doing day-to-day -day things like getting in and out of the car or maybe the way they're getting dressed. They're slightly compromised, um, but they're they're not even aware of what actually is going on yet. They, yeah, they never heard of you or the problem, but they need your help. They could benefit from your help. So when we're looking at advertising, and we think about like, well, where do we put email at? Well, email is amazing for people who are highly aware, right? Not so great for people who are unaware because they're not even on your list yet, right? When we think about Google and I, I have this East Coast, West Coast thing around Google and Facebook, but if you think about that alphabet family of advertising, you know, it, Google was founded by uh, two Stanford graduates, it's West Coast, it's very, um, very much focused on capturing people who are already searching. So, you know, it's physical therapy near me, right? That's the search or uh, back pain treatments or what, whatever your specialty is, right? It's somebody who's aware, they're product aware, they're solution aware, and they're looking for the best specialist in their area um, to treat a specific condition. That's Google traffic, right? On the other end, we have the East Coast, which was you know, really Facebook, even though they're headquartered in Menlo Park, it was founded by Mark Zuckerberg, who I believe grew up in Connecticut and went to Harvard, right, an East Coast school. And it's a little bit more interruptive. So it's in your face, it's you're scrolling, and then an ad comes up, right? And guess what? They both work. Um, so they're, and they're both highly effective. Um, Mario has an interesting question. What do you think about WhatsApp? Uh, WhatsApp is a within the Meta family, so it's owned by Facebook. Um, I do no advertising on WhatsApp because if you think about who our target market is and how they use that media, um, it, it, it's not a fit for us. So anyhow, Facebook, Instagram, uh, the Meta world of advertising is very uh, intrusive, interruptive, which is great for unaware, problem aware, that that, that cold that end of the cold traffic, right? Where you can go through with education and get some conversions there. So as you're building out your marketing system, you want to think about where these different uh, different things fall. And you want to be, for us, at least when we go into a new area, we open a new office, we go in and we want to blanket everything. Obviously, in the very beginning, when we're opening a new office, we have to start with the unaware because we're new to the area. Number five, Big point number five here, strategy number five is you want to train your staff to convert. And in any healthcare field that we're talking with or working with, this is the thing that is missed, right? We all have this exam room fallacy that we're going to run a successful marketing campaign on any platform. It doesn't matter what it is, online or offline. And then we're just going to walk into exam room after exam room of people who want to see us and are demanding our services. That is not how patient demand works. That's not how marketing works, right? What really happens is we have a successful advertising piece and people respond. They call us, they go to a squeeze page, they email us, they uh, communicate with our practice in some way. And then 
there's a human to human conversation. And we refer to that as conversion. So we might be emailing them, talking with them on the phone. Maybe it's a live communication as well, but we have to understand how to convert. And if we're thinking that our receptionist who's used to calling new patients uh, from a faxed physician script or faxed referral to our office, if we're thinking that that competency does really well when we're marketing to cold traffic or responding to emails, we're, we're highly misinformed, right? That is not how it works. It's a completely new skill set, and we need to pay attention to it, especially when we're building out our marketing system. So uh, yeah, quick story here. Um, we have a marketing team, internal marketing team for marketers um, that handle all of our traffic centralized for the six offices right now. And um, I misunderstood that when somebody was really good on the phone and doing phone conversions, that that automatically translated over into text and also email. It does not, right? So paying attention to how your team is interacting with people who are responding to ads or responding to email is significant, right? And we've done a ton of study here. We can tell you that, you know, the average practices follows up less than twice with any advertisement lead, but there's a lot of fruit to be had between the second and the seventh time in trying to contact that person. And we use all three media there. So yeah, when you look at the data, most of us are just missing out. We're investing monies in advertising. We're investing money in systems to send out emails, uh, patient newsletters, et cetera. But if we're not paying attention to what's happening, once those recipients respond, we're flushing money down the toilet. Number six, we want to measure results to understand what's working so we can do more of what's working and less of what isn't. Um, yeah, the, for most of us, that fe that feeling of reinventing the wheel is a is a common problem. And a lot of practice owners that we talk with, they're just they're doing that every single month, right? So if over the next quarter, once we build out this marketing campaign, if uh, you can look back and say, okay, what was the most successful thing I did in the quarter? And then I'm going to repeat that again in the future. I'm going to rinse and repeat. Wouldn't that save you a lot of time? It, well, obviously the answer is yes, right? And the idea is the next time that we talk down the road is that we want that to happen for you and your practice, right? So you have more time to focus working on your business. And you're not having to, you know, write campaigns all the time. Um, so we want to do more of what works in the end and, and less of what doesn't. The software that you see here on the right is exactly what we use in our practice, the breakthrough software. And we can look at exactly where patients are coming from, why they're coming in, um, what our follow-up is like, what is working and what is not working. So why do we want to measure? Here's an example. I had said earlier, I would share some um, email campaign results. So these are just some of the, I don't know, we have a hundred plus campaigns in uh, built out within the software, but you can see the average open rate. Just to give you an idea, the industry standard is about 20%. Um, and these are all campaigns that are doing really well. Again, it's delivering value. And then once people respond to that, so for example, they'll watch, you know, number one exercise for heel pain, and then we make them an offer specifically around heel pain. So at this point, we're going to incorporate these six strategies into, um, into a single marketing calendar for Q4. I'm going to exit out here, stop sharing for a second. Um, by the way, I need a volunteer. If you're willing to volunteer and go through and have a marketing calendar built out for you live, uh, Ruchi says me. Great. So you can unmute. That would be great. Give me a second. I have to um, find him here in the list and give him permission to unmute. Ooh, tough. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes. Perfect. Hi, Arya. Hi. The pronunciation? Ruchi. Ruchi. Okay, good. Hey, Ruchi. Sorry. All right. So uh, 
while I'm sharing my screen here, if you can just introduce yourself to everybody, where's your practice at, how long you've been in practice, et cetera, that'd be great. So uh, my name is Ruchi. I actually own a practice with two other women, um, Shonda and Kawan, and our practice is in, um, we have two practices, one in Edison, New Jersey, and then we have a small satellite within a gym in Metuchen, New Jersey. Awesome. Well, so we're well go ahead. Sounds like we're just, we're closer to New York City, like 20, 30 minutes outside the city. Cool. Um, great. So we're going to build a marketing calendar out here for you. Um, do you already have a marketing calendar? Uh, we do not have one yet. Great. So I'm going to go up here. For everybody that's on the call, Andrea put the link to this Google Doc in here. You're going to click on file and then make a copy. And we're going to rename this for you. And I'll give you the link for this then when we're done. Oh, great. Thank you. Chad, do you mind um, zooming in so it's a little easier to see it on your screen? Yep. Thank you. Better? That's great. All right. So um, you're, do you have an email list right now? So we currently do have an email list. However, it's just the list of emails that we've collected of all our patients, nothing beyond that. So you're not doing anything for them yet? No, not yet. Okay, cool. Um, size doesn't matter, but uh, what you want to attract people for does. So what would be the most common diagnosis that you think you saw your, your past patients for? Um, I would say the most is probably low back pain. Great. So... Great. How about number two? Number two, I would say um, neck pain. Okay. Um, do you do a patient newsletter? Uh, we do not do a news patient newsletter. Okay. So if, if you would, you could match that up in here as well, but we'll, we'll just stick with email campaign for now but you can always backfill. Um, when you say patient newsletter, Chad, are you talking about like a direct mail newsletter, a print newsletter, or like an email newsletter? Uh, direct, great question. Direct mail newsletter. I would never email a patient newsletter. It's it's a it's a mismatch of how media is. Like if you think about anybody on this call, when was the last time you opened up uh, a newsletter that was emailed to you? It's just It's just the wrong use. Of that, although we do it all the time as clinicians, um, I think it checks the box for many of us, saying like, "Hey, I sent something, an email out, and uh, we saved money on direct mail." But it it doesn't really do anything to evoke a response from our from our patients. Great question. And then, uh, is there any other thing that you would want to promote, Ruchi, in December? Um, I would pontifasciitis, foot pain. Great. Brain. Oh, I can't edit that. Oh, there we go. Great. No idea what happened to the formatting. Not going to worry about that. So um, what else do you do for marketing your practice? How are you getting patients in right now? So to be quite honest, uh biggest way we're getting patients is just word of mouth insurance and third is google reviews okay and then the smallest probably percentage is maybe um instagram facebook but um, biggest is word of mouth and insurance okay um what are you doing to encourage word of mouth word of mouth i mean we have a lot of google reviews and for being a very small practice and a very um, new practice that started right before the pandemic. Um, the the reviews are not just like, oh, I went to try for physical therapy and they made me better. They're like good, valuable, like paragraphs written. And I feel like 
once people put that out there and then their family and friends read it and see it, they kind of, we were giving out t-shirts for a long time to our clients that kind of directed them to call us. I don't really think that caused anything. I think a lot of it was just, we treat our patients like family and they really feel and they love that feel of being appreciated and like wanted and we really um, just really treat them well. We throw parties for them. So it's, we do little things to kind of keep them talking about us, but just, again, word of mouth, nothing beyond that. Okay. So like in a typical month, how many patients would come through by word of mouth? A typical month, I would say word of mouth about, I want to say about 10 to 15. Okay, cool. Um, so for warm traffic, we'll hear... Do you want to, do you think about Google in terms of uh, cold traffic or warm traffic? I would say Google would be our cold traffic. Cool. And 60% of our referrals are from insurance. What, what percentage? About 60%. Okay. And that's, you're in network with somebody? We're in network with all insurances. Okay. Um, what do you do to strengthen your relationship with the insurance companies? Nothing. Nothing as of yet. Okay. Um, we get our out in a timely manner. You get what? We're meeting, we discharge our patients in a timely manner. We okay. make sure, you know, we do what we need to do as like no service and well, plan of cares are always signed. You know what I mean? Insurances are not always calling us and looking for us. We make sure us are like up to date, but that's the extent to our relationship with the insurance companies. Okay. Have you ever done anything like, um, and, and yeah, pretty classic for most of us on here, highest quality of care in the area, rely on word of mouth referrals. Um, very, very, very common. Um, what, if you were to roll out like an initiative to strengthen your relationships with insurance companies and referrals from them, what would you do? I mean, I would just, I have no idea. I would, I just don't know how to even go about that, to be honest. I don't even know who I would contact. Well, there's typically um, going to be a director there, right? That is like your liaison. So usually, and it's easier than ever before to find that person on LinkedIn now, or just ask. Um, the insurance company, but you, usually they're looking at outcomes and data. So your EMR could likely kick out, you know, your average plan of care, the outcomes, whatever the tool measurement that you use. And usually you can go back and just ask that person how you could strengthen the referrals, but we'll, we'll just put a placeholder in here for insurance. And then, uh, so the other thing that you mentioned, what type of advertising was it? Meta type advertising. I know um, we we've literally only thing we've done is maybe Instagram advertising. Okay, and you're they're paid ads or you're just social posting. Social posting, very minimal paid ads, so more social posting. Okay. All right. How often are you social posting on Instagram? Um when we have the time, the problem, we're in the zone where we're always so busy working. So yeah. to go back to marketing is the hardest part. So um, if we can, we try to do at least once a week, sometimes it's once every two weeks, some weeks we do three times a week. So it's very inconsistent due to the fact that it's just a revolving door where it gets so busy, we forget everything else. Yeah. Great. So yeah, I feel you there. Um, and you're not alone. You're in perfect company. No. Um, so, yeah. all right, if we go back here, you're gonna set, let's say you're going to send out a lower back pain email campaign. And for everybody on the call, we'll talk about how to do that here in a second. But um, what day of the week do you want to send that out on? Monday. Great. First Monday, second Monday, third Monday, third, 10th, 17th, 24th. When do you want to send that out? With the uh, third beginning of the month. Great. Um, pretty simple. We go to the next one and you said neck pain. Great. And then December was plantar fasciitis. Yeah. 
Great. Um, we're going to hold off on insurance. Instagram social posting, how often do you do that? Uh, we want to ideally be able to do it three times a week. Three times a week? Okay, so like Monday, Wednesday, yeah. Friday? Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Cool. So what do you, what topic do you think you should cover if you're promoting lower back pain to your patients here in October? What do you want to post on your Instagram account? Probably more things related to low back injuries, lifting mechanics, um, exercising injuries that could cause low back issues, prolonged sitting. Um, I'll show you something crazy really quick, but um, if you go through back pain and you just go to Google or answer the public, these are the nine most common questions people with back pain ask in the world. Oh, wow. You can screenshot that really quick. Um, oh, now I just lost. There it is. Um, so yeah, like if you're posting on Instagram, um, that's what I would do is go to oh, there it is. Um, just answer questions that are commonly being asked on Google by people with back pain. So you'd go through and fill this out, Instagram posting um, for the rest of the month, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, my friends that do the most Instagram posting, um, they do their entire month's worth of filming. They do it in, in a day, one day per month. And they'll usually crank out um, like 12 videos in less than two hours. So then you're not having to constantly every single Monday, Wednesday, Friday, post something new. Yeah, got it. Another, another quick tip there. So then you would do the same thing here for November, go through Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Instagram, and then the same thing here. And after this, the key is just having the discipline to stick to the plan, right? So you have two main... Yeah right? Uh, two main functions. One is the email. The second one is the Instagram post. Um, and maybe a third thing would be contacting the insurance companies, especially your top payers or the insurance companies you want to work with the most and figuring out who their liaison is. Sound fair? Yeah. Great. I'm going to... Uh, Andrea or I can actually, I'll just share with you directly right now. Okay, um, awesome. Uh, how about uh, some love for Ruchi there in the, in the chat would be great from everybody. Thank you. Thanks for hopping on here with uh, no notice. <laughs> Thanks for volunteering. Um, is that the link that she just sent for this? No, uh, answer the public is uh, where you can type in back pain and see Google results. Um, it, you'll see it provides a ton of information for you around uh, back pain or neck pain or plantar fasciitis or whatever topic you would like. I'm getting you the, oh, that's not it. One second. All right, we're going to get back into the presentation here and wrap things up for everybody. Um, if you do have any questions, now would be a good time to um, put them in to the Q&A. And just share that document with you now, Ruchi. Just confirm that you can open that up in the chat. That'd be great. All right, so we're going to get back here and uh, any insights or questions that you had on how to think through building a marketing calendar for a, a quarter. You can type your question in the Q&A. <coughs> so we run everything um, at our practices and we help hundreds of other practices right now do the same exact thing it, through a patient demand platform. And... Um, that, that is exactly what Carl and the team have built out here with Breakthrough. You know, what is it really what that does is it helps us attract patients 
with both uh, online and offline advertising, email campaigns, and working with partners. And then once people raise their hand, they respond to what we're doing, our marketing efforts. Then we have the conversion where we have both automation and training around the human to human conversations that need to happen in order to fill our schedules and fill our space. And then underneath it all, we have measurement. Um, I don't know if you caught there when I was working with Ruchi, I was scrolling through tabs and I actually showed um, a, a metric, a metric dashboard um, from one of our practice locations. Um, but why do we have that? Well, we want to be able to go through and look for any insights that we have or ROI intelligence so we can do more of what works in our marketing um, and, and strengthen those things that are working the best. So that's the patient demand platform. Um, and really the way to think about it is it marries up our efforts in marketing to our past patient list for those warm third-party referrals, whether it's an insurance company, physician office, or um, a partner who's hosting us for an event. Um, and then uh, also everything that we're doing with cold traffic. So, and, and I said we had over 100 campaigns. Here's an example of the campaigns that we have built out within our system with data and metrics behind uh, all of this. The other thing that you get to see down in the uh, bottom right-hand corner is we can actually have insights into if you are not interacting with uh, your conversions in your system, really how your staff is doing. Like, are they following up on leads in a timely manner? Are they tracking everything? So you get insights and in, uh, to see what the flow of your business looks like. A couple of examples there. Um, and then, you know, also within measurement, we get an idea of uh, for any campaigns that we're running, what's our ROI, how many people are actually coming through the door, how many people are, are added to our patient list, um, et cetera. And at this point, we can open this up for any questions. And I see a couple in there, Andrea. Awesome. Thanks, Chad. Yes, we have a lot of questions, um, so we'll try to get through as many of them as we can. Um, the first question I saw was from Christina. Um, this is around Facebook advertising. She said, despite setting up my Facebook ad preferences to target my location, I was getting tons of messages from people in other states or countries, and my ads didn't convert any new patients. Do you have any tips for fixing this issue? Yeah, well, Facebook um, the had the opportunity to work with um, literally through Breakthrough was the um, head of online ads one time at Facebook, uh, Kathy Borkowski. Essentially, the, the knowledge base within Facebook, um, it's it's there. It's uh, at the same time, I I just want to balance that viewpoint with uh, it's really hard for you and I as clinicians to be super knowledgeable. Um, and competent in running our own Facebook ads. I do not run, we run Facebook ads, literally thousands of dollars a month, um, but I, I don't touch any of that myself. So I'm not the right technical person to handle that for you. Um, the other thing is uh, conversions don't come from Facebook ads. They, it actually comes from the interaction via email, texting, or phone calls of the people that respond to your ads. So I would start um, for most practices, we, we actually teach, um, Gene on our marketing team teaches, um, in our patient demand course right now teaches how to do that. Um, but it, it teaches how to run the ads through Facebook, but the most important thing around conversion is having the software to help you track also having the training of what to say and how to respond to those ad responders so that they become patients. Thanks, Chad. I also um, pinged our um, head of our media director here um, with that question earlier. And she said, it sounds like you might have your targeting wrong. I know you said you've set that up, but you may just want to take another look at that because you should be able to target only people who, who live in your area. Okay. Um, let's see. A question on your on emailing. Um, are you segmenting your email lists based on anything? Um, and I think we had another question on email as well. Yeah. So are you segmenting your email lists at all? Um, and then what platform are you using to develop and send mass emails? Yeah. So the the breakthrough platform here, 
is exactly what we're using and handles all of our emails. We can track everything in it. Um, yeah, everything is managed through Breakthrough. Um, we don't have any other, you know, MailChimp or Constant Contact or anything else um, to do that. Everything is all the emails here. Uh, segmentation is a great question. Our patient list, we only segment to whether they're uh, a prospective patient, right? They they get a different email uh, email campaigns or mainly around indoctrination, building trust so that they can ultimately um, convert over to a plan of care. The second group is people who are in it. You know, they're actively coming in for physical therapy right now. So we call that a, a it's, it's called patient phasing within the system so we can see where people are at. But if they're actively receiving care, they're not going to receive a promotion for something that they might actually be receiving care for right now. And then we have our um, our patient list. So they're the patients that have been uh, discharged, right? Um, they've already come in for their plan and they're discharged. They receive something else. So that's the only way that we're segmenting right now. We could definitely segment in more ways in the future, but right now that's more than sufficient for us to grow and expand. Cool. Um, and then and Trina asked another question about emails. Are there any uh, rules or laws around collecting patient emails? Do they need to consent specifically to marketing emails or is that implied when they provide their email for patient intake? Uh, yes. And you just know your state and your practice act. Um, there is likely somebody that can help you with that. I know, uh, Mary DeLong and BCMS have put out a ton of information on that. We've had other experts on in the past, um, likely Paul, Wel <clears throat> excuse me, Paul Welk, who's the go-to attorney in all of physical therapy. He and his office can help you as well. But yeah, it's going to depend on your state practice act and your state's laws around that. Well, I think general best practice is to ask for ask for that opt-in before you start emailing your patients. Yeah, the very first thing that we do in every um, with every new practice that we ever work with is we actually send an email um, that's basically ask them for their consent. Like, would they like to continue to receive uh, additional emails of value in the future? If not, here's how to opt out because we want, we want that list to be tight. That's one of the secrets behind the, the super high, double the industry standard open rate. Great. Um, we have a couple of questions on conversion and follow-up. So Jason asks, can you expand on contacting the client two to seven times? So what do you mean by that? Um, and then Jake asks, can you clarify or expand on the timing of phone calls once you sign up a new patient? Yeah, so I'm gonna address the, the second question first. We have six offices. We, we test different times of the day, so they're all different. The very first thing that most of our offices do with one exception is they do a phone call first right around lunchtime. So this came from testing and data. You're gonna to wanna to look at the same thing in your area. So we call once around lunch. So this would be like, for example, somebody registers for our next shoulder pain workshop. And they did that online. And I'm gonna guess that they did that through Facebook, right? So we get a notification that they registered. Somebody from our office will call them. They will make an attempt around lunchtime. And they will, if there is no communication then, um, and it was simply a voicemail, they will try again same day, later in the day around dinner. So like 4.30 to 6.30. Um, and again, this is in most offices. And the rare exception there, we found an office where texting first works best. So it just depends on the office um, and the demographics of the people that you're, you're looking, um, that you're working with. And I completely blanked on the first question, Andrea. No worries. It was, can you expand on contacting the client two to seven times? Yeah. So it, you know, what are your options to contact somebody who um, gave their information to your office? And again, with uh, the breakthrough platform, we have landing pages in there where people are signing up. So they're entering in their name, their email address, they're giving their phone number. And we 
uh, in doing so, we have permission to follow up with them. So we're doing some combination over the first three or four days of calling them, texting them, and also emailing. And we will have some recipe, like for example, it's probably three phone calls, um, two text messages, and two emails to try to get in contact with that person. Most practices are going to call one to two times. They're never going to email. They're never going to text, right? And the, the idea is that you have at least seven attempts to contact a person who is willingly giving them your information, giving you their information. Cool. Um, I have two more questions if you have time for it, Chad. Shoot. Awesome. Um, Amy asked, can you give an example of information you would share with the liaison for the insurance company? Yeah. So, uh, Andrew, I saw your message a little bit late, but um, yeah, I would start with a thank you. If you're getting referrals from somehow from an insurance company, th there's somebody there that's responsible. So thank the insurance company, right? Especially the liaison or whatever, you know, the person that set up their directory and included you in it, whatever that is, some sort of, and I would do a handwritten note, but a, a thank you to them, right? You don't have to, you know, again, you want to know your practice act, but you're probably limited, you know, in terms of a monetary thank you, but at least recognition and acknowledgement in a handwritten form goes a, a long, long way. Um, other things that I've heard um, that have worked with insurance companies are, are some form of that. So contact, con understanding the, uh, the referral process from the insurance company um, is huge. So learn more about their business. You know, do they host anything for providers? understand how you can provide value there. So I would start with, we call it idea extraction, like going in and meeting with a person who's responsible and learning more about their business, how they, what their process looks like, and then figure out a way where you can plug in and add value. Great. Um, all right, our last question, um, we had two people actually ask about direct mail. So Haley said, we currently do a digital newsletter, but she's curious about direct mail. Are you mailing out a one pager or more of a booklet style? Um, and then Trina asked, what do you think of direct mail to houses in a certain area? Okay, so first one, our exact patient newsletter from this month, this is called a, a four page tab with inserts. So it's really a, an eight and a half by 17 with a, a one page insert. Um, we've taught for years exactly. So we wrote about it in killer marketing secrets. We teach about it all the time, how to lay out that newsletter. Most newsletter companies, fulfillment services within PT are very aware of, uh, what we've taught, but there are three components. One is a personal interest story about you. The second one is bringing everybody up to date on the news in your business. And the third one is some sort of offer. So for example, in this one, the offer is. Uh, September is National Fall Prevention Month, and we're offering um, a fall assessment um, out to our patient list. And that was a successful promotion that we ran in the past, in previous years. We did the same thing again this year. The second question was, uh, what are we doing with direct mail? Um, it was, can you send them to like houses in a certain area? So, um, Great question. Never send your patient newsletter who is it's designed for people who already know, like, and trust you. Never send that out to people who don't know, like, and trust you. So they're two very different pieces. And in order for any marketing to work, there's a principle called market message media match. And those three things must be in alignment. So for example, if our target market is our past patient list and the media that we're using is uh, a direct mail piece, the messaging in that newsletter is significantly different than uh, if our target market is somebody in the cold public. So for us, when we go to a new market, we'll use uh, EDDM. So it's every door direct mail, um, EDDM.USPS. It's a free service from the United States Postal Service. And um, 
you can go online and target a specific area. So we'll buy postal routes, um, have the mail delivered, and there we use a postcard. So it's dramatically different. There are two different pieces with different messaging. And that, that second uh, postcard to cold traffic includes nothing personal about us. It's focused solely on the potential patient and delivering value to that potential patient. But great question. Awesome. I think that's all that we have time for. Thank you everyone so much for your great questions um, and for your participation. Big shout out to Ruji for volunteering. And thank you, Chad, for um, all of your great content and insights as always. Thanks, everybody. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.